everybody, this is David Chuddick here, and this week we are going to be talking some real estate topics with the Freedom Chasers. Uh, they have a great podcast that we're also going to give you the link to check out as well. And um, I believe in diversification. So real estate oftentimes is a great place to diversify your assets. If there's anything keeping you up at night, email me, David, at ParallelFinancial.com. That's David at ParallelFinancial.com. And also, I work primarily with business owners. So if you're a business owner and if you have any of those financial concerns or are thinking about selling your business anytime in the next one to five or ten years, uh, check out my website, www.allofmyassets.com, and we hope that you enjoy this episode. This is the Weekly Wealth Podcast with certified financial planner, David Chuddick, where we discuss the wealth building mindsets and tactics that can help you to build and maintain wealth for you, your family, and your business. And welcome to this week's episode of the Weekly Wealth Podcast. Um, as you know, I'm a financial advisor with Parallel Financial. And as you know, there may have been some stock market volatility this year. So if there's anything keeping you up at night regarding your money, regarding your investments, regarding any part of your financial plan, um, shoot me an email, david at parallelfinancial.com. Uh, that's david at parallelfinancial.com. We can do a 30-minute call. We can talk about some of the things that are keeping you up at night and see if there are any next steps. Because after all, how we handle our money should positively impact our lives and the lives of those around us. And being the Weekly Wealth Podcast, uh, we talk about building wealth. And one way to build wealth is through real estate. So uh, today we have Matt and Tim on with us. And we're going to talk about some creative ways to get into the real estate market, to buy properties, and, um, and, and yeah, just how to build wealth and diversify outside of your traditional brokerage accounts um, with, uh, with real estate. So, so uh, we're going to start, uh, start with Matt. Uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, where you are in the world, and, and a little bit about your real estate journey. Totally. So first of all, thank you for having us. It's a joy to be on your show. And secondly, just evaluating your intro. I'm so thankful that you mentioned that the way we handle our money should better our lives. I think that is a really, really great point to focus on because most people will focus on growth over sure. lifestyle enjoyment, which absolutely I think is uh, an interesting thing. Dude, um, some of the most miserable people I've ever known were extremely wealthy. They didn't have any freedom. So the dollars themselves, I mean, you know, it's how you handle the dollars. And and sometimes, you know what? I mean, sometimes you have someone who's like, you know what? I need to figure out how to live off of less money so I can work less and spend more time with my kids. That's real wealth, you know? So 100%. Excellent. Yeah. So my journey, I come from a background of ministry and service and teaching. So growing up, I was always involved in, in church and ministry. And so for me, the path was becoming a teacher and just giving of myself in that way. And that's what I did. Unfortunately, it wasn't enough to, to make a living off of for my family because we wanted to be you know a single income family. So my wife could stay at home with the kids. And that led me down a path of searching as to what other options were there. And I took the plunge to go into sales and that completely changed my life because sales to me in the context of being young was, Hey, well, that's what, you know, slimy people do, or that's what people who are greedy do. Then actually going into it, you realize, well, there are those people, but by and large, you could be a very honest salesperson. And there is such need 
for honest salespeople. So once I went in and then was able to connect my extroverted personality and analytical skills to finding solutions for people, it opened up a passion and a joy that I couldn't shut off, which then led to essentially real estate because I had a huge desire to, as you spoke about earlier in the intro, I wanted lifestyle freedom. That was so important to me. And I noticed that there were a lot of people that were using real estate as the vehicle to get out of the rat race and to get into a life that they could create exactly the way that they wanted. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, no question about it. And sales, really all sales is good sales is just finding problems, uh, finding solutions for problems. And yeah, you get paid for it and there's nothing wrong with getting paid for it. So, uh, uh, so, so yeah, tell me about a little bit about yourself, Tim. Well, like Matt said, thank you so much for having us, David. I'm super pumped to be here. Um, I'm a second generation realtor. So, I mean, I've been exposed to real estate since I was born, essentially. So my dad's been selling houses since 1984, and he's fairly high volume. Um, and he was raising me as a single father for a large portion of my young adulthood. I think um, I think he got married when I was in sixth grade or something again. So prior to sixth grade, I mean, it was pretty much just me and him, which meant I was on showing appointments with him all the time. So, I mean, I was ingrained in real estate since the very beginning. I also helped him out on his fix and flip projects. Um, so that was my introduction into real estate. I eventually ended up working with another broker, an REO broker, because uh, my skill set really fit naturally with him. And that just really helped increase my ability to repair properties because that's a large part of it, right? Um, when you're getting REOs, which stands for real estate owned, that's a bank owned home, that's a foreclosure, right? So if you're working with one of the bigger banks like Fannie Mae or Freddie Mac, you're going to, they typically repair the property because it, they're going to get a return and they have very, very deep pockets. So what ended up happening is I was managing like 30 to 40 repair projects at any given time. Um, unfortunately, you know, the REO boom didn't last forever, right? So, I mean, that started going away in about 2016. And at that point, I kind of transitioned in roles at that company to the VP of acquisitions. So my first year doing that, we did 25 flips. Um, I believe we grossed about $500,000. Um, after that, I actually returned to working with my old man for a little bit. Um, I was on his team. It was a small team, me, my stepmom, and my father. And I just, we have both high D personalities, you know? So, I mean, there's just something where um, I love working with my dad. We work better as partners. Like if we do mm -hmm. a flip together, it's awesome. But like when we're working on a team, it's just, we kind of butt heads a little bit. So well, if you're both Ds, yeah, there has to be one person in charge and the two Ds, it's going to be, uh, yeah. who, who is that one person? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, you know, I, I eventually cut the cord a little bit. I mean, we still do a lot of work together. It's just mostly on the investing side. So my career really took off when I, when I did that because, you know, everything was on me. I was the sole producer. Everything was like, I'm not going to make money if I don't do the work, right? So, I mean, my career really started taking off when I did that around 2018. We're sitting here in 2022. I own a brokerage now. We do a strategy called wholesaling a lot. We do retail and um, we do all sorts of things. You know, I, I manage 13 properties too. So, I mean, I'm kind of all over the place. Awesome. Awesome. And that's one of the things we're going to talk about is, is some, some different ways to be involved in, in real estate. But, um, but before we get into that, Matt, tell us a little bit about, about your, your podcast. And then, um, and then maybe Tim, tell, tell us uh, how, how both of you kind of connected with each other and, and, and became a, a podcast team. Yeah. So Tim and I run a podcast together called the Freedom Chasers Podcast. And the main purpose of that show is to translate the stories of real estate investors 
to people who are getting into investing or want to continue that investment. And so essentially, when you get into real estate investments, a lot of them can be really, really wild stories, especially if you're fixing and flipping or or even if you're buying multifamily. There's a lot of things that can go wrong and interesting stories. And so our goal is to inspire people to, to get into it. And so we want to normalize all of the crazy things that happen in a real estate process by just continually telling the stories of real estate investors. And so that people can emotionally feel like they're not alone, like their unique crazy transaction is not the thing that, you know, the craziest thing in the world that there's thousands and tens of thousands of others that are going through the same thing. And so we hope to inspire people to push forward, do more real estate investing so they can get that life of freedom. Cool stuff. Cool stuff. So Tim, where, where are you physically and, and where is Matt physically and how'd you guys uh, meet up and, and, and get connected? That's a fantastic question. So I'm in the West suburbs of Chicago. Matt is located about an hour and a half south of Sacramento. He's in Turlock, California. So we actually connected with each other in a mastermind group. It's called the GSD Mastermind with Joshua Smith. So he's one of the better real estate coaches out there. Um, we just kind of bumped into each other in a group one day. And then Matt started hosting these sales trainings, which is totally free, by the way. So hats off to Matt. He used to do a role play session every single morning. So I was jumping on those because that was actually right at the point where I broke off on my own. So I was looking for new strategies and I jumped on the calls with Matt. And eventually I, I reached out to Matt and see if he would do some personal one-on-one -on -one coaching with me. And we did that for a little while. And the relationship just blossomed over time. Um, eventually I, I came across some properties um, and, and Matt was actually helping me actually close a lot of listings too. So I would get the listing appointment and then we would do it together on the phone and stuff. So, I mean, that was a lot of fun because he was just, Matt is just an amazing person. Like I wouldn't be where I am today without him. Um, but yeah, I mean, we found this sweet deal where we essentially got three properties Matt got instant equity of like several hundred thousand dollars and he was cash flowing like $11,000. So obviously once I found that deal, we started communicating more and more because he needed somebody to manage those properties. And as our communication became crucial to keep these properties to be maintained and everything well, our friendship has just continued to grow and grow and we found more and more opportunities to support each other. Awesome. Awesome. You know, they say you're, you're kind of the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. So um, you know, if you want to be a loser, hang out with losers. If you want to be a winner, hang out with winners. And that's why right. like athletes, you know, they go to like training centers because, you know, that's where, you know, the, the best of the best push each other and, to get better. And, and sometimes success, well, not sometimes, almost all the times being successful is freaking hard. I mean, you have to do things that other people are not willing to do. Uh, you have to learn, you have to develop yourself and, and to have someone to push you um, is, is, is tremendously, tremendously valuable. So cool. Well, hey, so we 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 got kind of the 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 background out of the way. So I wanted to ask Matt because you know I watch HGTV and I watch the two tall skinny guys. You know they buy a house and 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 they 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 you know they remove a few walls and they sell it for one hundred fifty thousand dollars more. You know a week later and then um, you know all these flipping shows and and it seems like you can just you know make two hundred thousand dollars a week buying and selling houses, which probably might be the non-reality part of, of the reality TV part. So, so Matt, tell me some, you know, uh, let's look at some strategies to getting involved in real estate. Like how do you make money in real estate? 
Wonderful question. And one that I can answer in 30 seconds or one that I could answer in three years, depending sure. on the complexity. Mm -hmm. And so let's talk about the people making $200,000 a week. So if, if someone came to me and, and they said, never hey, lose money on a deal, right? And because they never they, lose money on a exactly. deal. And that yeah. actually is possible. Okay. So obviously the number of people doing that is very, 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 very small, but there are people that are doing this. So let's break out a few ways that you can invest in real estate. So number one, the skill is to get properties under contract. That's finding deals is the number one skill. Now you can outsource that part of the process because there's four parts of the process, right? There's getting the deal under contract. There's doing the due diligence and making the purchase. Then there's figuring out the, the stabilization or the exit strategy. And then there's exiting the deal if you ever exit. Some people hold forever. So once you have a property under contract, you can do what's called wholesaling. You could do what's called wholetailing, or you can buy it and fix it and flip it or, or rent it out. I think one of the most underrated concepts is the concept of wholesaling and wholetailing. So if people are new to the game or newer, don't want to take on as much risk, things of that nature, essentially wholesaling eliminates almost all risk. Because you're not closing on the property, you're not coming up with the money, your only things generally are at risk are one, the, the cost it takes to get the property under contract, and two, maybe some due diligence costs, things of that nature. But wholetailing, you actually go ahead and close on the property and then immediately put it back on the MLS and sell it or sell it to an end buyer once you've closed. This to me is kind of the magic element because in markets that are changing, if you're doing a fix and flip, you could be selling the property three months to nine months after you buy it. That, in this case, might be a completely different market than the one we're in today. Sure. And so one of the ways that you can minimize risk is by wholesaling, so you never close. Or if you do close, don't fix the property. Just turn around and put it back on the market and sell it the next day. And when you do that, you generally are able to collect a much higher percentage of the upside. So for example, when you're wholesaling, you give a lot of the upside to the investor that buys it from you, but you get some. If you wholetail it, you take more risk because you're putting the money up, but you get a lot more of the upside, generally speaking. And so my recommendation, particularly when the market is to consider wholetailing if you've got the available capital or you have access to the capital, because then you get all the benefits of the upside without having to fix and flip. And I, I feel like in those two areas are where people are, are able to make those ridiculously large sums of money on a weekly basis and have pretty minimal risk. So can either of you give an example of maybe a deal that you've done or a, a deal that you've seen, like actual numbers and, and timeframes of kind of how this works? Because this is kind of fascinating. Yeah. Can do the Dirk deal? Uh, we or can do the Dirk deal. Is it okay if I tell the tax default strategy deal? Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. I mean, if you're talking tax default, uh, yeah, let, let's hear it. That's even better. Okay, cool. I mean, I, I mean, we can go on for days. Like, there are deals <laughs> on deals upon deals. So, Love it. so if, any, if anybody wants more, we're happy to go into them. And the reason I want to do this deal is because the condition of the property gets so bad that most people would think it was impossible to do this kind of thing. So, we, I'll, I'll kind of skip how we got the deal because that's a longer story. But we got a house in California for about $30,000, $35,000. The, the house was filled with t-shirts, rats, needles, food. Like it was bad. Like if you walked in, it was about like your normal desk height full of stuff. You could not step into the house without stepping 
up a significant margin. So we closed on the house, got insurance on it. Essentially what happens, we paid somebody to clean it out. The house is cleaned out. So you paid 30,000-ish in the 30s? Yeah, for yeah. Okay. yeah, between paying the back taxes, paying the sellers, so on okay. and so forth. And then what happened was, is someone snuck in, probably a, a drug addict, after we had cleaned it up and did some things and a part of the house burnt down. Awesome, okay. And, yeah, fantastic, <laughs> right? So after some conversations um, with the insurance company, they paid out basically more or less what we had into it. Then it went on the MLS and sold a couple of days later for $85,000. So this is a house that's partially burnt down, et cetera, et cetera. So if your mindset is I've got a fix and flip, you would have put who knows how much, $100,000, $200,000 in that home, would have sold it for $300,000 or three fifty dollars or something like that, as opposed to us. We have, we're basically into the property for almost zero. We just said, hey, you know, we don't want to fix it. Let's just see what happens. If we don't get what we want, we'll fix it. When we got the $85,000 offer, we were like, hallelujah. And it completely changed mindset for us as to, well, do we really need to actually fix these things? Maybe what we do is we any property we buy before we fix, we put on the market, see what we can get. And if we can get 80% of the profit we would get after we fix or more, why go through the work? Why not just spend that same time and energy to go get more deals? And so- um, that, that just and what became, was the time frame from from when you purchased it until when when you sold it for eighty in the eighties? It wasn't very long. I don't have the exact dates, but I mean we're talking weeks or okay. yeah, it was not very. I mean maybe months. It's it's kind of getting a little fuzzy now. This was probably eight years ago or so, something like that. But um, it was so not. Why, a very but long time. but I guess my point is, why did market forces allow you to purchase a home that was worth in the eighties for in the thirties? Was it just a condition or did you just quote, get lucky or blessed or whatever you want to call it with a great deal or, 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 you know, cause that seems like, you know, literally a miracle or, or close to it. Yeah. Distress seller situation, of course. So okay. we were reaching out to, to the sellers and we wanted to make sure they, you know, got what they wanted. So they actually, the sellers picked the price. We confirmed like, this is what you guys want. And there's a lot of risk when you're, so we we became aware of their desire to sell the property at 9 a.m. And we had to have the complete transaction done by 5 p.m. Gotcha. So there's no title companies that have time to insure it. We hired a person that had worked for a title company to do a background title search for us. And none of that's going to be perfect, but we felt confident enough that essentially that would um, would play out. And so it's a combination of the risk that we were taking and just giving the sellers what they were asking for. And there was no way that they were going to be able to do a market sale because they were going, their house was going to be auctioned the next day, unless if they paid the taxes. Wow. Wow. So you got to kind of be now, now, Tim, like, how did you find this? Was this something you were actively looking for? Or, you know, how do you, how do you find these things? Cause it seems like if you're working a nine to five job, you may not have the ability to kind of be looking for these things. Like when you see Tarek and Christina kind of, you know, talking on their fake phones, uh, you know, Hey, there's a house for sale here and we need to go look at it today. Fantastic question. So, I mean, there's a number of ways that you can do it. Um, I'd say the most cost-effective way, like somebody that just wants to get started, you can just drive around and start looking for properties that are in rough condition. You'll be amazed. Like you don't see them now, but when you're looking for them, mm-hmm. you could find about 25 properties an hour that are in rough shape. So in Chicago, 
Uh, yeah. I think in most markets, actually, okay, um, cool. from from other people I've spoken to, I think that's about right. Because, you know, I don't, I mean, I drive around Chicago a lot, but I'm not targeting those areas that are super rough. I can right. find 30 in, an hour, in, in 20 minutes in certain neighborhoods. I just don't go to those areas, right? So rule of thumb, if you find 50 houses a day, you'll find two contracts a month if you just reach out to each of those sellers and ask them, is this a house that you want to sell? So that's just a numbers game. Anybody could do that. It's really simple. You, you write down the addresses, you find a skip trace service, you get their phone number, you reach out to them, you simply ask them, is this something you want to sell? And if it is, you start negotiating, right? So that's option number one, right? Number two, um, you, you could buy data. Um, so there's, there's so many different types of data lists that are valuable. I love absentee owner lists. I love out-of-state landlord. I really love out-of-state tired landlord, which means that they've been a landlord for a very long time and they live in a different state. So you could buy the data and then you could cold call them. You could text blast them. Um, you could direct mail them. Now, these strategies cost a little bit more money. You need some capital up front to buy the data. You need some capital up front to buy the software necessary to execute the plan. Um, but these are some methods to do so. There's also some other cheap things like most cities, water shutoffs are public record. Wow. So you could just reach out to the city and be like, hey, who whose water has been shut off? Basically, I think you need to word it a little bit differently. It's um, a freedom. It's a freedom of information act request. So I think you need to make it formal as a FOIA, but you could get the water shut off list. So you could just call the cities, get the shut off list and then reach out to those people because if their water is getting shut off, they probably have a problem. And then it's your job to provide them a solution. Well, in the city probably would much rather have somebody else purchase the property and upgrade it and, and rehab it uh, uh, just as a, as a selfish motivation uh, for sure. So, well, that is, um, is super interesting. So in these contract sales, you are never actually, so are you basically selling the contract? I mean, you're never actually taking ownership of, of, of the property, Matt? All the above. So for me, I always look at what's, what's the greatest value for the property? What so so for example, when you evaluate properties, some properties provide a ton of equity, some properties provide a ton of cash flow, and some provide both. So the first thing is, well, do I want to own this property long term? And so if I want to own it long term, then I just buy it. If I don't care to own it long term, then who is the best end buyer? How much profit would I make on the property if I just sold the, the contract or what they call selling the paper? How much money would I make if I if I put my own money out or I borrowed some money to close on the deal. You know, you evaluate the cost of the lending, you evaluate mm -hmm. the additional profit and how does that equation play out versus, um, you know, buying it. So I, I evaluate all of those. And so once I know I don't want to buy it, then we figure out, is it more profitable to buy it, turn around, put it on the market, or is it more profitable to just sell the paper? Okay. No, that, that makes, makes a lot of sense, but it also seems, and I may be wrong that there may there may be excessive room to make it errors, making the wrong choice if you're new to it. Uh, I mean, do you agree or or is that where, you know, kind of learning from people like you can help you not to make those mistakes? Yeah, that's a great question. So essentially, like there, there are all types of risks, I guess, and errors you can make. So when you look at it, there's the errors of not abiding by state laws, okay, mm -hmm. and liability scenario. So that's one umbrella. But let's just say that that we're not worried about that for today's show. Let's say we're just focused on the errors of buying a property for too much or so on and so forth. I think wholesaling where you sell the paper, you don't actually close is the safest when it comes to the numbers. 
because you're forcing yourself to find a buyer before you go into close. So your risk is like maybe your deposit. If you've got a good contract structured, you wouldn't even lose that deposit. Now, I personally prefer when people tell the sellers that they're going to wholesale. There's a lot of wholesalers out there that don't tell the seller that. So they're wondering why they're having all these potential buyers walking through their house and so on and so forth. So I value transparency and honesty a lot. So, you know, my hope for anybody out there would be, hey, if you want to wholesale, please do the sellers a service and tell them what you're doing. And, you know, it'll probably get you into less sticky situations when you're in contract and they end up finding out anyways. Um, so, but I think that's the safest way by far is to wholesale. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Tim, one of the words that, that I hear kind of just in, in, in the circle is, is passive income and, you know, multifamily is passive income and rental properties are passive income. Number one, I mean, is there really such thing as passive income or is it, you know, and number two, you know, is are you know buying and holding properties and renting them, whether on the short term, uh, you know, the VRBO is another kind of thing where people are, you know, you rent your house out for five thousand dollars a night and you do that thirty days a, a month and you make, you know, five million dollars. Well, it seems pretty simple, but is buying, holding, and renting is that a viable strategy for building wealth in the real estate uh, in the real estate asset class? Absolutely, without a doubt. Yeah. Um... There's a multitude of ways that you could do this. So, so there's passive income. So in order to do it passively, um, let's say you're just doing a buy and hold, right? So you buy a property, you put a tenant in there. In order for that to truly be passive income, you need to hire a property management company. And then yeah. it is passive, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, you basically, you're not doing anything except for making sure your property manager is doing their job. Right. There are other methods, right? Like you're talking about the short-term strategies, um, those are very, um, I don't know if resource intensive is the right word, but I mean, you need to clean up these properties. You're yeah. basically running it like a hotel. So, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a lot going into that. So, I mean, I wouldn't say that's truly a passive income model unless you have somebody else completely ma managing that for you. Now, there is some true passive models. Like if you're, if you're doing something like seller financing, um, where you're purchasing the note and then you offer a rent to own program for somebody else and you you give them a seller finance note we call that a wrap in the industry that is basically passive income you're essentially the bank they pay you every month if anything goes wrong you don't have to do anything the only time you have to step in is when they stop paying you and then you foreclose them you you inherit the property and you put somebody else in there so that is the most passive form of income i could think of but I mean, there's no true 100% passive. Eventually, somebody's not going to pay you and you're going to have to evict them and stuff right. like that. But I mean, there are definitely passive income opportunities out there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, man. Well, you know, as a financial advisor, I want my clients to have multiple asset classes because let's face it, you know, th there's going to be a time when any part of the real estate markets are not going well, in which case you'll be glad you own some stocks and bonds. There are going to be times when the stock and bond markets are not going well, in which case you'll be glad that you own some real estate or some other asset class, gold, you know, crypto, who knows what. So I think that diversification is a very important financial principle that can help us all to not eliminate, but reduce risk. Because if all of your proverbial eggs are in one basket, that basket is never always the right thing to be involved in. And one of the things about real estate is it's not 
that liquid, which means people don't necessarily make the panic decisions to sell. Whereas if, if you're overly emotional, it's very easy to look at your investment brokerage account and say, oh, wow, you know, I'm down 10% this year. Let's just sell it all because it's going to go to zero, which you know, not going to happen. But with your house, it's real tough to just press a button and sell it. So you end up holding it. And over time, you know, real estate tends to, um, to, um, to, to go, um, to, to go up in value as well. So this is just a, a really good value add to our, um, uh, to, to, to our listener base, uh, uh, for sure. So, so Matt, um, tell me a little bit, um, about, how, you know, how, how do you work with listeners and clients and things like that? Yeah. And if I can, I'd like to add a little bit to what Tim said earlier too, sure. to give maybe a different image of like state passive income. Mm-hmm. I think there's an argument that can be made that there really is never any such thing as passive income in any sense. Um, and obviously some industries, some investment provide a greater sense of less work, maybe less stress, so on and so forth. In real estate, I would equate it less to passive income and more to like someone being an owner or a chairman on the board sort of position where, like Tim had mentioned, you're, you're really making, if you hire property management, you're making one good hire. And then you're just making sure that hire stays good. And if that hire is not good, then you rehire. Right. And so, you know, like in a, in a board position, you're, you're typically, it's a very small amount of hours, typically not a lot of stress. I would equate property ownership done well to that. If you've hired the right property manager, it feels passive. But the reality is, is it's not entirely passive. It's just, it's a very, very good thing. So I, I, I would say that I'm careful when, when we talk to people about saying that it's truly passive mm-hmm. because there's all kinds of things that happen with property. And, and you can, with your property manager, you can spell out how much you want them to tell you. So you could say, hey, anything under $500 of repairs, I don't even want to know about. Right. Or you could say, I don't ever want to hear about repair ever. I don't care how much it costs. Right. And then it's passive at that point. However, if you've got the wrong guy and he's not telling you about $2,000 repairs, you know, he he could be running up your bill pretty good without you knowing. So that's kind of the dance that you do. How do we work with people was was your question. Mm -hmm. So essentially, that's one of the big reasons for the podcast is we want to be able to put out as much content as is humanly possible so we can impact the greatest number of people. I've done a lot of one-on-one coaching over the last seven years. And one-on-one coaching is a big passion of mine. And as you know, it's it's not a very scalable thing. Like I can only help a very few number of people and when I'm giving of my time in that way. And so that's why we've moved to towards a podcast with the intention and the hope that we will affect and impact a lot of people to move towards freedom. So we do have the ability to coach one-on-one clients, but we take on a very, very, very small number, but our, most of our efforts are geared towards producing content that will help people to take action and, and move towards, you know, that passive income or that, you know, income, you don't have to work too much for. Absolutely. No question. So kind of to wrap it up here, uh, Tim, I would like to, you know, with all of your podcasts, all of your content, if you could kind of break that down into like one or two, like someone who's thinking, you know, I, I want to get into real estate. I watch, you know, I, I'm, I'm in kind of that proverbial rat race, like Kiyosaki talks about, and, you know, I can't quit my job tomorrow. 
um, and and because I don't have any real estate, but I want to move towards building up some passive streams and 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 acquiring some assets. Like one or two things that you can do today to kind of at least get that ball moving towards being able to purchase real estate and get into the game. So for clarity, um, does this person have access to some funds or is this somebody that is middle-class person? They, you know, they may have a home equity line. They may have a little bit of money, you know, so, so they may have a couple thousand dollars, 10, 20, $30,000 they could put down, but they certainly don't have a million dollars that they can go pay cash. Not that I would even advise anybody to pay cash for a Mm -hmm. big property, but you know, maybe some resources. Yes. Okay. So. This is going to be really dependent on the person. But like Matt said, like without a doubt, the strategy that I would recommend is wholesaling. Like the method in which they would execute that would depend on their their access to funds. Right. So let's say somebody has absolutely almost no money at all. You're going to go for the water shut off list and you're going to drive for dollars. And those work. You just have to do it and you have to do it consistently. It's going to take some time. Because number one, you have to be good at finding properties. Number two, you have to be good at talking to sellers. So you have to build a skill set. You you should probably plan out for six to 12 months to get good at this. But once you get good at this, it's like liftoff. You know, when you're on the plane, once you get off the ground, there's no going back, right? So um, that is what I would recommend. Wholesaling without a doubt. The, the, The mechanism and how to do so depends on your funds. So yeah, driving for dollars, water shut off list, very easy to get. If you have access to funds, I would go after the data and I would just reach out to the sellers directly. And data is expensive. You could be looking at about a thousand dollars a month. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, but there's definitely, you know, to, to build something special, there's going to be costs. There's going to be financial costs. There's going to be effort costs. There's going to be maybe, you know, after the kids go to bed, you're, you're, you're researching properties online and that's just the cost. So if you want to be average, you do average work. Um, if you want to be above average, you have to do what the average people are not willing uh, to do. So kind of to wrap up the show, and by the way, we'll have all of the contact information and website information in the show notes. Um, But to wrap up the show, I wanted to uh, ask first Matt and then Tim, you know, as the weekly wealth podcast, we talk about the mindsets, tactics, and strategies to help you to build and maintain wealth. So I wanted to know Matt and then Tim's definition of true wealth. So, So like in your life, what does wealth mean? When will you be wealthy or what would, what would have to happen in order for you both to be wealthy? Good question. For me, wealthy is understanding the calling that's on your life. Mm. So your life's true purpose. I think most people have, have a difficulty even getting to that point, which is not an easy point to get to. And then once you understand what your life's mission is, then doing everything in your power to move towards that mission. I know for me, there's been points in my life where I've been fixated on certain things like financial success or health success, et cetera, et cetera. And it, it seems to me, I feel at my greatest in it and complete when I'm pursuing something that is that's bigger than myself. And so I would say, you know, something ideally that encompasses all facets of your life from an adventure standpoint, from a money standpoint, from a health relationships, spirituality standpoint, a mission that that encompasses all those. And as you move towards that mission, I think you're becoming wealthier every day. I love it. Deep, but I love it. I love it. Um, about you, Tim, what's, what, what'll make you wealthy or what, what brings wealth to your life or what's the definition of wealth for you? 
Um, thank you. That's a great question. I love everything Matt said, by the way. Perfect answer. I agree with that. Pick something totally different. I was say, I'm yeah. going to throw something yeah. different out right? there. Though. Let's hear it. I'm yeah. definitely going to go throw something different out there. So like for me, true wealth, true wealth is, is freedom uh, on almost every level, right? So number one for me, I want freedom of location. I want to be able to live wherever I want, whenever I want. Um, okay. Number two would be freedom of my schedule. So like if I want to be off at five every day, I want to be able to turn my phone off at five every single night and not be so reactive. Like as a real estate agent and an investor, I'm reactive all the time right now. I want to like true wealth is me not being in that role anymore. And also true wealth is owning a business and being the CEO of that. Or actually, let me rephrase that. True wealth is being the level above the CEO. So your job is to tell the CEO what to do. You're the visionary. And that's it. You talk to the one person. It's like, this is my guy. He's going to run my business for me. Obviously, you're going to pay him pretty well, but you only have to talk to him, right? So that's true wealth. Freedom of what you want to do, where you want to do it, and, and just being at the very top level of your organization. That is ridiculously cool and deep. I like I like both of those. Uh, everybody, you know, typically we get some version of freedom. Um, I, I, um, and I was not expecting either one of you to say when I have 50 homes or hundred properties or, or 30 doors or whatever. Uh, so, so, uh, so yeah, so that's awesome. So, uh, Matt, tell us one more time, tell us the name of your podcast and, uh, mm -hmm. which platform is it on? Yeah. The freedom chasers podcast it's on all the major platforms, Apple, Spotify, et cetera. So we have a distribution service that puts it out there. So awesome. pretty much anywhere podcast can be found. Awesome. Well, hey guys, this has been really cool. And uh, check out the podcast if you're interested. Uh, check out the, the the websites that we'll put in in the show notes. And you know, if you feel like real estate is something that you want to get involved with, you know, it it may be worth looking into. Every asset type has positives and negatives. Um, but but you know, I own real estate, and I think you know most people should probably get into it in some way, shape, or form. So uh, so check it out, um, check out the podcast, and hey guys, we appreciate your time, we appreciate your expertise, and uh, until next episode, we wish everybody a blessed week. Thanks, guys. The information contained Thank here, you. including you, but not limited to research, market valuations, calculations, estimates, and other material obtained from Parallel Financial and other sources are believed to be reliable. However, Parallel Financial does not warrant its accuracy or completedness. The materials are provided for informational purposes only. It should not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any security. Past performance is not indicative of future results.